Hi, this is Debbie with Keep Your Pecker Up Podcast. I am here with Gila Marsh, a work friend of mine for many, many years. Welcome, Guy. Thanks a lot, Debbie. It's a pleasure to be here. And, and uh, before starting, kudos on, on the choice of name for your <laughs> podcast. I love it. My, well, my you- saying has always been, keep your stick on the ice. Yeah. I'm going to change gears and maybe adopt your saying. <laughs> <laughs> Did you listen as to how that came about? I, I, I read your uh, your tidbit on it, and okay. I uh, certainly was not aware of that, so it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, it's a very British saying, which has a whole different meaning in the UK, because I have a friend uh, who's British, and she went, oh, yeah, that's a great one. And, and I said, you know what they think of it here? And she said, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> It was, you know, I wanted it, but I was a little worried about doing it. But, no, you know, it I did. It, it certainly had, uh, it, it caught my attention. <laughs> well, especially, especially what you went through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect segue to what we're going to talk about. Exactly. We were just talking earlier. We saw each other two years ago through work. You were fine then, right? I was fine on the exterior, but I knew uh, internally that there were some issues Uh, that were just not quite right. And that was basically the start of the the chapter or or the cancer book for me. And and certainly I'm lucky that I went and got tested because more often than not, uh, men frown on on the idea of of having a doctor uh, check the prostate, uh, especially the physical exam. For me, it didn't matter. And uh, that was basically the start of it when I was in Florida, actually. Okay. Yeah, that's when I really knew there was something wrong. So what were your symptoms? For mine, they were varied. It started off uh, with a lot of nighttime urination. Uh, and that escalated to, you know, having to wake up and have to pee every hour on the hour. And I'm not talking here a dribble. I'm talking a good pee. Yeah. And so your quality of life all of a sudden diminishes because you're not getting the required sleep that you otherwise or accustomed to getting. So that was uh, one of the early signs, followed by uh, urgent need to pee during the day. And so I could be at a meeting and you know I'd have to uh, excuse myself on a number of, of occasions because I got to pee and I got to pee now. So it became commonplace for me to figure out where the bathrooms were, no matter where I, I happened to be going for work or for play. Uh, the first thing I needed to do is figure out, A, are there bathrooms? B, are they accessible? You know, C, am I in a good place here in the event that I, I got to go for a pee? In fact, we were, my wife and I were on our way back to our, our Florida condo from the beach one day on a busy, busy boulevard in Florida, pulled over onto a grassy swale, and Nicole said, you know, what, what are you doing? I said, I got to pee. She says, well, you can't pee here. And I said, Nick, it's either I pee here now or I pee in the car. Uh, she said, we're, we're, we're three, three blocks from, from, from our place. I said, I got to pee now. And I, and I actually parked, got out of the car, and took a whiz uh, with cars flying by each, each direction. And it didn't matter because I had to pee, and that's the only thing I had in my mind. So obviously, I did a lot of research then. Uh, in preparation for a visit to my uh, my family doctor when I returned to Canada. And and in fact, you know, visiting the family doctor was commonplace every year. I I do what most people do. I go in and, and get my cholesterol and diabetes blood work done and, and off to the races I would go. 
only this year I said to my family doctor, Bill, today you're going to check the prostate. And he said to me, uh, you know what, Gee, 75% of all men your age will develop prostate cancer, but will die of old age. We don't really do that anymore. And I said, well, you know what, Bill, I've got news for you. You're going to be doing the test on me today. And now, and I, and I literally took my pants down and I, you know, the doctor and I were first name basis. And I said to him, as I got on his gurney, what side do you want up? Because I knew what, what, you know, what the next steps were going to be. And I really didn't care because I needed this done based on the research that I had done in Florida while I was waiting to get back. What basically happened then, he said, oh my God, your, your prostate is enlarged. We'll send you for blood work now. And so I submitted to the blood test the following day and off to Toronto, I went for Rendezvous Canada, which was a big marketplace to attend for work. That's where I was when I got the call from my family doctor saying your, your blood work results are back. Your uh, prostate specific antigen, the PSA, which is what they test is way up there your file has been referred to a urologist, they will be calling you. And that was the beginning of a long and storied road that is a year and a few months. Just wanted to comment on something because as women, we're always told it's nothing. You know, we feel something, there's something there. Will you check it out? Oh, well, nothing to worry about. I mean, when I, I remember getting a mammogram, I guess about three years before I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And my doctor said, we see something, but it's nothing to worry about. If I had the wherewithal at that point, if I had known, I would have said, like, let's not wait. And this is commonplace, Deb. Uh, let me tell you, um, my kid's sister uh, is, is, a, is a medical practitioner from Philadelphia. And she sent me early on a a 700 page book called Surviving Prostate Cancer. And let me tell you that in the first 10 pages of the book, the author said, and this was really a playbook to what I had just lived. If your doctor, if your family doctor suggests that most men have this and to move on, fire the doctor. You wow. need to get tested. And when I read that, I said, you know what, this is, this is a playbook to exactly what I went through not that long ago. And, and let me tell you too, that once I was confirmed, it was confirmed by the urologist after the biopsy and everything else that I did in fact have cancer, I went back to the family doctor and remember we were, we're, we're first name basis friends. And I said to Bill, I, you know, I, I'm not here for anything in particular but I, other than to ask whether or not you're on top of my file, are you aware uh, that I've got cancer now? And he says, yeah, I'm aware. And I said, let that be a lesson. And I'll tell you, had I not been checked, I'd probably be well on my way to a deathbed now because I was, I was uh, diagnosed early on as a stage three uh, advanced aggressive, only to find oh, out from Sudbury uh, that they had aired here in Timmins that I was in fact a stage four advanced aggressive candidate. And there was really little time to waste. And then enter COVID, uh, which caused a lot of havoc. So I was put on a waiting list because they had not started the radiation yet. 
uh, because this cancer had spread into my lymph nodes and into my pelvis area. Uh, so yeah, it was, and I went back to the urologist in Timmins and I, and I insisted that the doctor who had read the scans provide an addendum, not a correction. I want an addendum to my file that says he missed the fact that I, it, I had cancer one centimeter in one lymph nodes and 1.5 centimeter in the other cancerous masses back at the time when I got my initial CAT scan in Timmins. Was that in 2019? That was, uh, yeah, that would have been uh, May of 20 or July of 2019 because I found out July the 24th that all 18 specimens that the doctor had pulled from the prostate had all tested positive for cancer. What was alarming then, and, and, and of course he said to me when we met, it was my wife and I and him, and he said, I've got good news and bad news. Which do you want first? And I said, I, I, want, I want any news. And he basically said, well, the good news is your cancer is localized. The bad news is you have cancer. And so uh, that's where I found out that even the specimens that he had pulled from the, the external envelope that protects the prostate showed cancer. So I, in my mind, I was borderline for, for the cancer to breach the prostate and for this to become a lot worse than what it was, but it was worse. It was the CAT scan proved that it had in fact breached and that I was a stage four. Oh my God. Oh yeah. And, and, and so, you, you, you know, right from there, there was a huge paradigm shift in my life. They prescribed uh, early cancer treatment in the form of hormone injections. I was, I'm injecting Lupron every three months to starve the cancer of testosterone okay. uh, and hopefully it'll starve it and kill it. Uh, so that was to treat what was external and following uh, some sessions of the injections, I would proceed to the radiation. Imagine this, Debbie, I, I went to Sudbury on September the 9th for what would be a, a, a CAT scan and my tattoo placement. And if, for those that don't know, uh, when you're getting ready for radiation, they do a scan and they tattoo your body. It's permanent tattoos. And those tattoos will guide their laser. So every radiation treatment is the same each and every time targeting exactly what needs to be targeted. It, it's, a, it's a baseline for, for what they need to do going forward. And so I, I went to Sudbury September the 9th, got the tattoos done. And on September the 12th, I was at home. I was off work. My wife was at work. And my oncologist called me at home and she said, Mr. LaMarche, uh, it's Dr. Lamb calling. I'm in the process of evaluating your uh, placement scans and, and preparing your, your radiation schedule. You, my friend, are not a stage three, you're a stage four. We've noticed a, a significant mass in one lymph node and a smaller mass in another. This changes everything. And I thought, and, and, and I thought at the time, I'm gonna die. So my wife came home shortly after from work, said I was white like a sheet and asked, you know, what's going on? And I said, I just got off the phone with the oncologist. I'm not sure that I understood everything she said, but the one thing I did hear is that the cancer spread. So what, what do we make of this? I don't know. So of course we mobilized and, and asked for a telemedicine conference with the doctor so that we can listen attentively and speak intelligently 
to the, the issue at hand. So fast forward a year later, I'm on the mend. I just, just now completed uh, what was 38 sessions of radiation in Sudbury. I was happy with my choice of venues. I, I, people said to me, uh, you know, don't waste your time in Northern Ontario. You got to go to Toronto or you need to consider Ottawa. And I'm going to tell you, Debbie, be, being a, an avid promoter of the North, and, and this is something I did in my work for 40 years, there w- I was not prepared to throw anybody under the bus or throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and I, I'm happy I went with the gut. I went to Sudbury, extremely professional, extremely compassionate, extremely caring. And I'm going to tell you, during my eight weeks in Sudbury, I met a lot of people from the GTA, met a lot of people from Ottawa and from other northern, northern cities, all getting treated in Sudbury. So I'm happy I went with the gut. I can't say enough for the treatment people, and I'm here to tell my story. Did you have chemo? I didn't have chemo. The, uh, according to my oncologist, the hormone treatment that I'm uh, currently on and will continue to be for a, another year is a form of slow-release chemo. Okay. But it's not as intensified intravenous uh, chemo injection. So I'm not going to lose my hair or, or anything like that. It was followed by an intense amount of radiation. The radiation was, was twofold. 23 of the sessions spent on the table uh, were spent with uh, what they called intensity modulated radiation therapy. And that would target different areas with different in, intensity of, of radiation. So the, the unit would circulate my body, stop, give me a dose or 10 uh, of radiation in one, on one specific area. Could have been a lymph node. I mean, I don't know what they were doing. The machine would then move and do another, uh, another dose of radiation to another part of the body that could have been the pelvis, uh, so on and so forth. And it was very, very long and, and not painful, but very awkward. That, after 23 sessions of that, they went to a, a system called volumetric modulated arc therapy, where the machine does one full circle around the body and then another uh, targeting the whole circumference. And that was the last 15 treatments. I come out of there feeling, feeling like a million bucks, notwithstanding the side effects that are ongoing for two to three weeks after. I didn't know just how, how bad I was. Mm-hmm. I felt good, uh, aside from the, the urinary issue. But let me tell you, now that I'm on the mend, I feel much better than I have had uh, in a long, long time. I didn't know that I was that sick, but I was sick. And, and you know what? If, if, if there's a takeaway from your story, my story, anybody's uh, cancer story, is listen to your body. If it yes. doesn't feel right, it's not right. And, and you need to do something about it. It's your body. Look after it. I talked to Dave Baker and Dave went through prostate cancer as oh, well. Oh, yeah. You know what? I do know Dave. Yes. So he was an advocate too. I think you just have to become an advocate for yourself. Yeah. And, and, and as you know, and, and, and this is no different for you in, in our line of work where we've become public figures. And in fact, on July the 24th, when I was diagnosed, it was on a Wednesday, it was a hot one at that. And every Wednesday in my work life, I was staging 
an episode of summer concert series. Mm-hmm. So I had a choice when I sat in the doctor's office and, and listened to him speak the word cancer. First of all, I was in denial. Then it, it became clear that I've, I've got to accept this and figure out what my next steps are going to be. And of course, we, we talked about treatments and, and a lot of this was, was a bit of a blur and he gave me several choices and, and I said to him, listen, if it was you, what would you do? We don't like to be put in that position, Guy, but let me tell you, if, if you were my father, here's what I would do. And, and, and I would do the radiation. And so I, I went out and asked his secretary how close and how tight he was to his father. Uh, to make sure that this is in fact what I should be doing. But I, but leaving that meeting, Debbie, I, I could have done what a lot of people have done, and that, that is to go home, lock myself in the home, and cry. Keep this going as, as a big blur and a big blank. Instead, I went to summer concert series, and, and the few people knew that I would be absent today because I was going through uh, what might be cancer. And so when I got back to the park, there were, I don't know, there were three, three, four hundred people there. And by the time I got back to the park, most knew, uh, looking at possibility that I had cancer. And, and, that, and that's where I, I, I became adamant that I would use my public presence to speak intelligently as best I could about my challenges and my trip down the cancer lane. And I've done that and I continue to do that. And I've been very, very open and very public with my story on social media, you know, very descriptive. And I really don't give a rat's ass about me at this point. It's about everybody else. And if you don't feel right, get checked. So typically, this is just a generalization. Men don't like to get checked out. No, you're absolutely right. And they don't especially around prostate, I'm, I'm making a huge assumption because, because I know a couple of people who have had it, that their virility is going to go away. Were you worried about that? You know what? I, I, I was and I wasn't. And, and let me explain. So I've, I've had a very good active life. And if it's a question of life or virility, give me life. I've experienced, <laughs> I've experienced a very sexual, active life. That, to me, became very secondary. Uh, my, my last meeting with my oncologist, who I met with every Wednesday during my eight-week trip, was to ask some very specific questions, one of which was around the subject of, of sexuality. And she made it very clear that once... I am off the hormones, and that'll be in another year's time. Uh, my body will start producing testosterone again, mm-hmm. and things will get back to normal. Can I have babies? No, but you know, guess what? I'm 65. I don't want to. <laughs> so she said, for all intent and purposes, things will get back to normal. The, the other thing, to your point, men don't like to be, to be checked. It's very invasive. It's almost embarrassing, but let me tell you, my doctor was a male. It was less embarrassment for me. It became somewhat embarrassing when I met my oncologist, a young Asian lady from Toronto, practicing in Sudbury, who said, Mr. LaMarche, uh, remove your, your pants. We're going to, I'm going to check your prostate physically. 
And so I knew I'm going to, I'm doing what they did in May. But at this point, Deb, I didn't care because again, it's that or die. So what, what's it going to be? Take your poison here. Yeah. Well, you know, that's my attitude. I'm just not sure that's, that's a general attitude. And you know what, really for prostate cancer, it can be as simple as a blood test, right? I mean, you don't have to go in for a checkup. It is the blood test though, sometimes gives you false positives. Oh, does it? Okay. Uh, so it's not a very, re yeah, it's not a very reliable test. They prefer doing physical and then moving forward with, with the blood. Okay. In my case, both were showed uh, signs of, of cancer and enlarged prostate. And my PSA was 18.7. A uh, normal PSA is zero to three. Wow. So at 18.7, it was through the roof. In fact, the biopsy, which was very painful, by the way, and again, uh, the biopsy, very invasive. No, it's not about putting a finger in your butt. It's about putting a bunch of instruments uh, up there and, and going through your colon uh, with a needle to extract parts of your prostate. They, they extracted 18 bites from my prostate, very painful. All 18 tested positive for cancer. And so when they, when they reviewed all of this, they came back and said, you are a Gleason 7. So let me tell you, I've done a lot of research in the last year about cancer and some of the terminology, and a Gleason 7 is way up there, and, and hence the stage 4 advanced aggressive. I've also heard prostate cancer being called a slow cancer, progresses slowly. I don't want men specifically to think, eh, you know, not to do anything about it because it's a slow progression. What do you say to that? Well, it, 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 is, uh, it is known as a slow progress, progressing cancer. And in fact, that's why my family doctor said 75% of all male uh, your age have prostate cancer, but will die of old age. That's how slow of a progression prostate cancer is. But in my case, uh, I was stage four. It had already breached the prostate. And so God knows how many other men uh, are faced with the same dilemma as I was. I mean, I did. I didn't. I was healthy. I've had a healthy diet. We have always eaten very healthy here. A lot of veggies. A lot of fruit. Didn't matter, Deb. I I, I developed stage four prostate cancer, advanced, aggressive. You know, say what you will. Cancer is cancer. If left untreated, it will kill you. And I've spoken to family members who have lost fathers or brothers or grandfathers from cancer, uh, prostate cancer that was left untreated, it attacks the bones. So I, I was subject to a bone scan twice to ensure that it had not attacked the bones. I started, based on my research, I started taking vitamins to overcome uh, some of the negatives. So I started taking calcium vitamins. I started taking B, B3s based on some of the effects that the Lupron would have. I started taking heart medication because Lupron is very, very hard on your heart. I did a lot of things to mitigate some of the effects that could come from the meds you're taking. To be very honest with you, although during the treatment, I was peeing every half hour on the hour at night, and they gave me medication to stop the peeing, and I filled the prescription. I never took that because I figured, you know what? 
if I take that, I'll need to take something else to overcome the side effects of, so I'm just going to put up with, with the half hour on the hour urination and hopefully that'll go away and it has gone away. Yeah, treatment is so rough on the body and the brain really is rough on emotionally, physically, even spiritually, you know. You know what, I, I've said it in a recent blog of my own, my pain over the last year has been physical, it's been mental, it's been emotional, and it's been spiritual. And I'm going to tell you, a week ago today, when I was asked to ring the bell in, in the Sudbury Cancer Center, and it's quite a thing, you've done it, yep. I've done it, and many others before us have done it. During the 15 minutes spent on what would be my last session of radiation, I prepared in my mind some of the remarks that I would deliver in 15 minutes time. And I'm going to tell you this ring the bell event got so emotional and I don't know if it was me uh, or if it was the, the Lupron that I take known to create emotional chaos, but I couldn't say more than a word. And that one word was, and it was uh, hard to say that too, was, was thanks as I cried and I, and I, and I cried like a baby. You think men are going to be men and don't want, you know, the doctor doing some invasive procedures and men don't cry. I've been down both roads and it's, it is what it is. I was uh, honored last year during the Tourism Industry Association of Ontario Summit in Blue Mountain with a Lifetime Achievement Award. I, I went there and I knew because they called in advance so that you're prepared. And I went there and I cried like a baby. You know, I, I barely got through all of my remarks and I had everybody in the room crying uh, because I knew I, I've got a much bigger story to tell than my tourism story. And I'm about to live this because I got cancer. And I, I don't know how many people there knew, uh, but obviously some did because a lot of, there was a chorus of people crying. And, I, and again, I think it's a, good, it's a good, healthy thing to do when you, when you feel like a good cry let it go that's healthy yes that's I medicinal agree. but it's there's it's a cleansing it's a healing it is in the spiritual pain that you that you spoke to for me you know sitting at the cancer center every day uh knowing that there were many in much worse condition than i especially children you know i i would sit there and ask my god why why that child why me why him why any of us I, I had someone, yeah, why any of us and why not me? I mean, that's the other question, Guy, is why not me? So you know what, why not me? Uh, that's a good point because I, I'm going for the, for the rest of my life, I'm gonna be saying, I'm gonna be talking about this story. And when I, when I get pop-ups in my social media uh, files uh, telling me a year ago you did this, I'm gonna share this again as a reminder. And, and it is just that, a reminder we are very fragile. We are. We're very fragile, absolutely. Uh, yes, and uh, you know, I can't say it enough because I keep, I, I know for myself, but you have to advocate for yourself yeah. to be able to help you help yourself. Because really that's, in my humble opinion, after going through all this, doctors are there to help us to help ourselves. Dr. Lamb, my oncologist, simply the best outstanding, uh, a true professional. I got to know her. 
we met once a week and I'm going to meet with her now every three months, probably for the next number of years. I can't say enough about her compassion, her professionalism. Uh, this doctor cared. This doctor was in as much pain as I was when I went in there on Wednesdays and talked about, you know, some of the, the shortcomings associated with the treatments. The treatments are painless. They're a little bit awkward, but certainly they are painless. The side effects, not so. I mean, I had to endure a lot of side effects all related to one's plumbing and that were not pleasant. And she went out of her way. Uh, in fact, she prescribed at one, at one point some ointment that she had never prescribed. And I had to find a pharmacy that would do some compounding. Her husband is a pharmacist. She called him. Uh, together, they came to terms with a compound that could work. And guess what? It did work. It was a Vaseline compound mixed up with some nitroglycerin uh, to be applied on your butt. I said to her the following week or two weeks into this, for the record, and put this in your file, Dr. Lamb, what you prescribed to me uh, for the first time ever worked. You need to keep that in your back pocket for others that'll come after me. Uh, because wow. the side effects were terrible. Terrible. I bet because it's all through your, your bowels and urinary tract. And so elimination must have been challenging. I, it, it was. I can't believe that we have in a human body as much waste as we do have. I can't <laughs> believe that. Uh, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to spare everybody the details, but it was terrible. I had a very, very supportive wife. Uh, my wife took a leave of absence from work. She walked the same journey as I every step of the way. Uh, we chose to not go to the Daffodil Lodge, which is attached to the hospital in Sudbury. We chose to not go to the, the House of Kin, which offers accommodations at a modest price, because I knew, Debbie, that there were some, again, in much worse condition financially and otherwise. So I'm not taking this up. We, we went to a Homewood Suites, short of an apartment. I had an apartment. Nicole was able to cook every day some healthy meals, keep me on the mend and, and look after me. Every step of the way, I uh, can't ask for any better. And, and my network of friends, family, just unbelievable. Unbelievable. When I, when I put my final story on Facebook last Friday, thanking everybody, there, there must have been 150 comments and 400 hearts and thumbs and what, what have you, what, what I called my short story. And it was just a recap of what I've gone through. Every waking, boring moment that I will live now, I will, I will think about those that are still overcoming some, some, some difficulties related to cancer. It's not fun. Nope. No one deserves to be ill from cancer. Many will, but no one deserves it. And, and my thoughts go out to all those that are enduring uh, what you and I and many others before us have endured. It's just yeah. terrible. One of the things that I have learned through this journey, patience and compassion. I think more than I ever have. I don't sweat the small things anymore. I used to be extremely anal at work, sweating the small stuff and everything had to be just so, so, you know, work would start at 8.30. I'd be in at 7 a.m. 
wanting to get my day in order and speak intelligently to staff when they come in and I would be the you know first in last out not anymore life is too short this this is a this was a wake-up call and 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 you know what I, I I had come to terms from the beginning that if this was if the news that I had cancer was the beginning of the end so be it I had had a really blessed life before that I had already been blessed with good work I, I was allowed through my work to make a difference in the quality of life of so many. I had a beautiful family, a caring family. I had a huge network of friends. I ne never missed a meal. I was blessed. So if this is how all of this comes to an end, so be it. The rest of my life, I will use a portion of it to speak to this cancer. Also felt awkward in my own skin knowing that I, like, I've got cancer. What are people going to think of me now? This is not a toothache, this is cancer. And I think most of us go through that. And I remember you at FEO at the beginning of your journey and, and we were all shocked and, you know, we were all sad and, you know, exactly what I lived, I know you lived and so many mm -hmm. other things. And, and you know what? Thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's, it's delightful to talk about this. It's always a joy talking to you. I love talking to you, Guy. I have yes, for I years, agree. decades. <laughs> 15 at least, anyway. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Is there any other words of wisdom that you wanted to impart, Guy? Yeah, for sure. Uh, this, you, would, you would know this being a social media guru. But on your birthday, Facebook, for example, will invite you to consider a fundraiser. Yeah. Uh, I did this year. And, uh, you know, I looked at their drop-down menu and, you know, I could have gone to Alzheimer's Society or Heart and Stroke or uh, the Cancer Society of Canada. Nowhere in there was, was, a, was there a choice for the Sudbury unit. And so I, I, had a, I, I had a chat with my doctor about this and I will chat with the uh, foundation at some juncture in Sudbury. Uh, but this is a, a great way to raise awareness for yourself and to great, a great way to raise money. My little uh, fundraiser attempt raised a thousand bucks on my birthday just recently for Cancer Society. I, I would have really wished that I could have directed that money to Sudbury, uh, where it goes to patient care as opposed to research. Right. But that was not an option. As an advocate, let's get that out there. Uh, I, I would have supported prostate, the Prostate Cancer Society, had that been a choice. So I, what I'm saying is not too many of us know that these opportunities are there, and they're huge. They are huge. And, and so I will continue to raise money for, for cancer-related projects, and uh, hopefully I will uh, live a long and fruitful life. Because as they say, forward and onward, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. Wonderful, Guy. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Debbie. This is Keep Your Pecker Up podcast. Hit subscribe to find out when more episodes come out. Thanks a lot. <laughs>